This is Radio Energy News. You are listening to Radio Energy News at one minute past four. My name is Niall Fancy. On today's programme, we will be looking at the return of primary schools from P4 to P7 and the phased return of high school. I'm happy to be back and to see all my friends. Later on, we will examine the fallout from the Clapham Common Vigil for Sarah Everard as Metropolitan Police Commissioner Cressida Dick faces calls to resign. And finally, our entertainment correspondent Emma Barton will tell us all about the news from the 63rd Annual Grammy Awards in Los Angeles. Our top story today. As of this morning, primary schools have brought back their older pupils full-time, and secondary schools have also opened their doors to students as part of the Scottish Government's plan for a gradual return to in-person learning. Our reporter, Thomas McCann, has been taking a look at how parents, teachers and pupils feel about the Government's decision. For the first time since March last year, children across Scotland are back in the classroom, albeit in much smaller numbers than before. Today marked phase two of the phased return for schools, a report published by the Scottish Government which details the roadmap out of online learning stated that all children in primary four to seven would go back on a full-time basis as of today, with a return to regulated childcare including breakfast and after-school clubs. Now that online learning is on the way out, children are once again enjoying the social aspect of school. I'm delighted to see my older children return to school today. Um, While there may be risks, our children have missed out on so much this year, not just academically but socially. The impact of this interruption is as yet unknown. They need to begin to return to normality. High school pupils were also back today. Many are seeing their teachers for the first time in over a year instead of watching them through a laptop screen. Exams have been cancelled, masks are required, and social distancing rules must be upheld. A return to school this may be, but not the type of schooling they are used to. I'm happy to be back and to see all my friends, and to see my teachers so I can get the proper education face to face. On the 16th of February, the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, announced that Scotland had developed a plan to get out of lockdown. Her speech that day in the Scottish Parliament clarified what people could expect in the coming weeks. She said, in terms of the order in which we exit lockdown, the Scottish Government has always made clear that education should be priority. Phase 1 began on the 22nd of February, with children in nursery and primary 1, 2 and 3 getting to see their friends once again. The First Minister stated that the Government and healthcare officials would need to monitor the impact of this change very carefully, before taking any further decisions. And as phase two begins, there are those who feel the government are moving too quickly. The COPD sufferer, I'm just a little bit worried about um, everybody following the rules, especially the teachers, as previously before this lockdown, two of our teachers tested positive. Um, I'm more worried that it's after school hours that they're not following the rules than in the school. The Educational Institute of Scotland, or EIS, is the largest teaching union in the country. A statement released by their General Secretary, Larry Flanagan, said, An over-hasty return of all pupils to the classroom setting could put at risk the progress that has been made in reducing rates of COVID infection during the lockdown period. 
The government has made it clear that although the priority in secondary schools should be for pupils being graded in national qualifications, they expect all pupils to be offered some face-to-face interaction. They have delegated these responsibilities to individual schools who will decide when students can come to class. So we have half our children in S1 on Monday, the other half are on Tuesday. On the Wednesday we have S2 in the building and Thursday we have S3. And that will continue for the three weeks as we build up towards Easter. The return to schools is perhaps one of the first major signs of normality since lockdown began. Classrooms are being used, playgrounds are busy, and students are interacting with their teachers and peers. With the vaccination programme well underway, the First Minister's plan for education is beginning to take shape. There are those who are wary of a spike in Covid cases, whilst others are relieved to see their children back in the school environment. The government is pushing on with their roadmap out of lockdown. Only time will tell if it was the right decision. After Metropolitan Police detained women at a vigil for Sarah Everard in Clapham Common, the police face questions on the ethics of policing and how women feel in our society. Thomas McCabe has more. After the arrest of a policeman last Tuesday, after the discovery of Sarah Everard's remains in Kent, there has been an outpouring of grief across the country, with vigils being held to mourn the 33-year-old. One such vigil was at Durham University, which was organised by Alay Fuki. Sarah Everard was a student at Durham University. She studied geography at St Cuthbert's College. So her case feels very, very personal to me, but also to many, many people in Durham. I've been helping organise a vigil for Sarah to commemorate her time here and to pay our respects to her as a victim of such horrendous violence. And what can men do to help women feel safe? Such as crossing the street at night so that women doesn't feel like they're about to be attacked. Calling out men for predatory behaviour in groups of friends, at parties, at clubs. Protecting women. Another vigil was organised by Chloe from Edinburgh, who spoke to our reporter on why men need to be responsible for their own education in society. She also talks about privilege that men have over women and how they should make sure to keep women safe instead of feeling in danger. I do feel that the vigil on Saturday came at an appropriate time. Um, While the media was talking about this, it was really now or never. We were discussing whether or not we should host a vigil, but just in two weeks' time. But I really think we need to strike while the iron's hot. This could be an opportunity for major legislative change. While people are interested in talking about women's rights for once. Following the disgraceful actions of police officers on Saturday night at the vigil held to commemorate Sarah Everard, Many politicians have called for the resignation of Police Commissioner Chrissida Dick. Liberal Democrat leader Sir Ed Davies said, What happened was a complete and tactical and moral failure by the Met Police. After the disturbing scenes that showed vigil attendees being manhandled by police officers at a time when the police are already in question by members of the public, particularly... Sorry, I can cut that. Particularly a w- women who fear for their own safety. Our reporter spoke with retired police officer Sir Sergeant John Murphy, who voiced his thoughts on the behaviour of the police. When asked about the public's response to the police involvement in the murder, he had this to say. I hear people saying, well, the, the police killed, the, the police have killed this woman. The woman was killed by a, a horrible, evil person who happens to be in the police. Mm-hmm. Sergeant Murphy went on to explain his thoughts on the timing of the vigil during the pandemic. I mean, there are are COVID restrictions, but I suppose if if it was spontaneous grief and people wanted to express it and they were going to stand, you know, sufficient distance and all that, 
it's hard to imagine why uh, the police would have to go in heavy-handed. As a member of the Scottish Police Force, we asked him for his thoughts regarding to the treatment of Rangers fans the week prior. That seemed extremely gentle compared to that of the aggressive nature seen seen used by police as a tactic on Saturday night. Just a, it's a public relations disaster for police, absolute disaster. But many politicians have called for considered Dex's resignation, and there is enormous pressure on her as well as the Home Secretary to answer for the behaviour of the police at the vigil. She has to answer. She's at things. She says she's not considering her position. One or two politicians have said to her, "Consider your position." She'll, she'll resign if she, uh, if she feels the pressure. With today marking a year since the government first strongly advised people to limit social contact, the Office for National Statistics has documented the past year in its report entitled Coronavirus, A Year Like No Other. This comes as the vaccine rollout suggests we are slowly but surely approaching the end of lockdown. Here's Emma McAndrew with the latest COVID-19 updates. The UK has recorded an additional 52 coronavirus deaths in the past 24 hours, the lowest figure recorded since early October. 4,618 new COVID-19 cases have also been recorded, with 24 million people in the UK now having received a first dose of a coronavirus vaccine. Eight countries so far have suspended distribution of the AstraZeneca vaccine. The Netherlands, Ireland and Italy are amongst those who have temporarily stopped administering the vaccine as a precautionary measure amid fears that blood clotting could be an unknown side effect. However, the European Medicines Agency have stated that there is no indication of a link between the vaccine and reports of blood clots. Approximately 17 million people across the EU and the UK have received a dose of the vaccine and fewer than 40 cases of blood clotting have been reported as of last week. This comes after much scepticism regarding the safety of the coronavirus vaccines. Here's what a recipient of the AstraZeneca vaccine had to say. I think there's an awful lot of scaremongering about vaccines in general, especially when you're hearing that it will affect fertility. They're listening to conspiracy theories on the web rather than looking at the science behind it. And the EU has approved a single-shot COVID-19 vaccine from Johnson & Johnson and has since ordered 200 million doses. The USA, Canada and Bahrain have also approved the jab. However, it is currently unclear when this vaccine will be ready to be rolled out in the UK. And now it's time for today's national stories from across Scotland with Gregor McRae. An SNP supporter has pled guilty to offences under the 2003 Communications Act to Edinburgh Sheriff Court on Friday. Grant Clark admitted to sending threatening messages to SNP MP Joanna Cherry. Cherry has said that they involved some threats of sexual violence. She received five private messages on Twitter the day she was sacked from the SNP front bench. Sheriff Alistair Noble has deferred sentencing until next month. A mother and her two sons were attacked on Rose Street in Edinburgh last night. The family were verbally and physically assaulted by a group of 10 young men. The mother told the BBC she believed the attack was racially motivated. Racist attacks against Asian people are on the rise in Edinburgh amidst the COVID pandemic. Police Scotland have stated that 474 hate crimes against Asian people have been reported between January and December of last year. Here's Thea, a student in Edinburgh, talking about her experiences. In my weekly shop in the supermarket and people started shouting at me, saying things like, get away from me, you virus, and nobody stepped in to help me. When the news first started to report on the epidemic in China and how it was spreading to other countries, I felt terrified. People around me started making jokes like, oh, you don't have coronavirus, do you? Just making sure. The Secretary of State for Scotland, Alistair Jack, 
has admitted that Brexit has caused failings and that Scotland's fishing industry has suffered in a speech to the Scottish Tory conference. The remark comes after ONS figures showed that Scotland's exports to the EU were down 61%, which Mr Jack says are snagging issues which the UK government was working to fix. Elsewhere in the speech, he accused the Scottish government of imperiling the devolution settlement. The minister also heavily criticised plans for a second independence referendum, accusing the Scottish government of being reckless during the pandemic. And the campaigners have welcomed news that the ban on evictions in Scotland has been extended to the end of September. Scottish Government Minister Kevin Stewart confirmed last night that evictions would still not take place in Level 3 and 4 restrictions following a government review of the level system. A Shelter Scotland spokesperson said they welcomed the clarity from the Scottish Government, but said concerns remained about potential evictions in areas in Levels 1 and 2, as restrictions start to ease in the future. The Scottish Labour Party and the Scottish Conservative Party have been holding press conferences to discuss their party's hopes for the upcoming parliamentary election. Our political correspondent Aaron Proctor has more. This morning Anna Sarwar spoke for the first time as Scottish Labour leader to inform the public on what he hopes to achieve. His national recovery plan details education, climate, job, communications and NHS recovery. He wants to gain back trust for the Labour Party and bring together a united Scotland. They opt to choose national recovery over independence if they were to be elected in the upcoming election. I want Scottish Labour to play a major role in our country's comeback with a national recovery plan for Scotland. A jobs recovery, an NHS recovery, an education recovery, a climate recovery and a communities recovery. If you want our country to focus on creating and protecting jobs, to deliver an education comeback plan, to restart and rebuild our NHS, to protect our economy and our planet, our people, the national recovery plan that Scotland needs, then we are on your side. Sawar has also decided to run against SNP leader Nicola Sturgeon for her constituency in Glasgow at the upcoming election in May. Mr Sawar states it may well be her constituency, but it's my home. This is a historic run as it is the first time two major party leaders have fought for the same seat at an election. Um, I have been quite impressed so far. I think he's done a good job of um, getting in the media and, and putting putting forward a positive case so far. Him saying he's going to stand against Nicola Sturgeon in Glasgow is, is what I think is, is the most important thing he's done over the last couple of days. I, I think it's, it's difficult to say. Um, I think there's a chance. I think second would be a very, very good result for Labour. The Scottish Conservative leader Douglas Ross has also made a speech today, closing his party's conference. He outlines what he hopes to achieve as party leader. He details the skills revolution that he wishes to achieve, pledging to expand a scheme to give more people the chance to learn new skills and grow. Mr Ross is also wanting to work on childcare and making it more accessible for everyone, as well as making it more affordable as a hope to close the gender gap in society. To deliver care through existing community organisations. This will help parents who want to work but can't because expensive childcare costs don't make it worth their while. With this transformative change to how we deliver funded childcare, we can help to tackle the gender employment gap, give an opportunity to thousands of Scottish women who are disproportionately affected, with a promise that they do not have to give up their job to look after their child. Over the weekend, the Scottish Conservatives held a virtual party conference outlining their plans for the election and announcing their candidates. Ruth Davidson made an appearance commenting on Nicola Sturgeon, independence and her hope to unite both Scotland with the rest of the United Kingdom once again. 
Prime Minister Boris Johnson also made a speech at the conference expressing how happy he was with the vaccine rollout and encouraging Scottish Conservatives to put an end to Sturgeon's reign. I think Douglas Ross, as Scottish Conservative leader, will and has already done an excellent job. You know, he's seen a range of policies being developed and also, for example, we're going to repeal the hate crime bill, which is a huge threat to freedom of speech. And you've already seen a drop in support for both independents and the SNP. And it looks like, you know, if trends continue, the SNP will no longer win a majority. So, yes, I do believe Douglas Ross, um, you know, is a great leader. And both in terms of developing policy, but also in achieving results. And so uh, I'm delighted to see what will happen in the Scottish Parliament election, which is shortly coming. So, Aaron, what does the future of the Scottish Labour Party look like after Sarwar's speech? Um, it looks like he's trying to head in direction um, that is focused on rebuilding um, Scotland um, instead of wanting to go back into another referendum he's very strong on his um on his stance of there not being a referendum in the next year um and in speech he was um he was quite um critical of nicola sturgeon um wanting to get a referendum as soon as possible and he was making sure to highlight that in his speech um, and was focusing more on his recovery plans what is the impact of sarwa running for the same seat as nicola sturgeon um I think it's an interesting choice, um, especially he's as he's just been elected. Um, a lot of people um, don't think he's going to win it. I mean, Nicholas Sturgeon at the last Scottish Parliament election got 60% um, of um, her constituency vote. I think she had about 10,000 votes. Um, so she's a really popular candidate there. Um, so I... I um, I've highly doubt that he will win it um so it'll be a very very short run from him as um leader of the scottish labour party um if he is going to be doing that what were the key events at the conservative party conference i think the most key events at the scottish conservative scottish conservative party was um boris johnson making appearance um attacking nicola sturgeon um talking about how independence will um make things more divisive and it's not the right way forward um and it's interesting to see what policies um, they're going to be putting forward um, if they do get elected. Um, and they also announced their candidates um, for the upcoming election. What is your opinion on Ross's impact on the Conservative Party? I think he has made a more personable impact for the Scottish Conservatives. Um, he's definitely um, done a lot more with the media um, and social media um, to try um widen his um out um impact um and to try gain more voters um whether it's going to be positive or negative for the conservative party um that'll we'll see that in may security forces in myanmar have shot and killed over 50 protesters in what the activists are calling the country's bloodiest day since the military coup which took hold of the country last month clashes broke out in yangon Myanmar's largest city, after the military junta declared martial law in two of the city's districts yesterday. This was in response to reports of violence and destruction against Chinese factories and businesses in an area where many Chinese workers were injured. The Chinese embassy released a statement raising their concerns over the destruction of the Chinese-owned businesses in the area and called for the current leader of the Burmese government, Min Aung Hlaing, to crack down on the protesters. 
Military trucks were seen entering the district, and gunshots could be heard ringing in the city throughout the day as the incumbent government responded to the violence. Armed troops were described as firing freely into crowds with no regard for the safety of the citizens in an attempt to quell the unrest, and in total more than 120 protesters have been killed in the crackdown, according to the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners. There has been no official statement from the Bernese authorities following the violence. Propelled by a recent surge of sexual assault allegations against the Australian Conservative Party, tens of thousands of women have been turning out across Australia to protest against sexual harassment and mistreatment. With rallying cries in Canberra, ex-political adviser Brittany Higgins, who has alleged that in February 2019 she was raped in the Minister's office, has spoken to the crowds this morning. Current Prime Minister Scott Morrison declined to meet with the protesters, later defending that decision in Parliament. The party of German Chancellor Angela Merkel, the Christian Democratic Union, has suffered historic losses in regional elections ahead of September's general election. The Christian Democrats suffered heavy losses in both Baden-Württemberg and Rheinland-Palinata. It is thought that the government's handling of the coronavirus pandemic is to blame for these results. In June last year, the party's approval rating was at 40%. That dropped to just 33% this month, according to the latest polls. The party is yet to decide upon its candidate for Chancellor, However, these latest defeats for the new party leader Amin Laschet could pave the way for his rival Marco Söder. The party says they will have made a final decision by May. Shamima Begum has been seen wearing makeup and Western-style clothing at a Raj camp in the northeast of Syria. Captured by the Daily Telegraph, these photos come out a month after the UK Supreme Court ruled that Ms Begum was not allowed to return to the country. Liberty campaigners are worried at this ruling, stating... The right to a fair trial protects all of us. Stripping someone's citizenship without due process sets a dangerous precedent. Having previously been seen in a niqab, this Western look could be seen as an attempt to distance herself from her eyes past. This year's Oscar nominations have been announced with many Brits among the stars nominated, including Carrie Mulligan, Olivia Colman, Daniel Kaluuya and Sir Anthony Hopkins. This is the first time two women have been nominated for Best Director, Emerald Fennell for her work on Promising Young Woman and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. This comes after the Academy received backlash for nominating no women in the category at the 2020 awards. The winners will be announced at the 93rd Academy Awards ceremony on the 26th of April. The UK government has announced that 500 foreign office jobs will move to East Kilbride in the coming years, bringing the department's total staff at its South Lanarkshire base to 1,500. We can now speak to our Home Affairs correspondent, Sean McGill, for more on this story. Sean, just how significant is this latest announcement? Now, this announcement has the potential to be very significant, but more so for the message it sends rather than the practicalities of it. In addition to Saturday's announcement of 500 civil service jobs being moved to Scotland by the year 2024, we have these 500 foreign office jobs being relocated too. That's 1,000 jobs heading north of the border, as the UK government makes it clear they want to emphasise Scotland's importance to the union ahead of May's Holyrood election, in which an SNP victory would make those calls for a second independence referendum even louder. And what has the reaction been from both the SNP and Conservatives to the announcement? 
Like I said, the UK government sees this as a real statement of intent in regard to bolstering the case for the union, and that has been shown in the words of senior ministers following the announcement. The Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, said that these relocated jobs will ensure that the civil service reflects all parts of the UK, while Michael Gove stated that the move will co-locate the engine room of the UK government in Scotland. On the other side, George Adam, SNP MSP for Paisley, has suggested this is a move made in fear by the Conservative Party, as the possibility of an SNP majority and a subsequent referendum loom over them. He criticised Westminster's period of austerity in which he says jobs in Scotland were disproportionately affected and called today's announcement a drop in the ocean in relation to those widespread cuts. Will this migration of foreign office jobs change public perception? We'll find out when Scotland heads to the polls on the 6th of May. Now it's time for the latest sports news. Here's our sports correspondent Cameron Wonstall with today's big stories. Rangers manager Stephen Gerrard has told fans that the best way for them to support the club in this weekend's Old Firm Derby is from the comfort of their own homes. This comes after thousands of Rangers supporters broke COVID-19 restrictions and flocked to the streets of Glasgow last weekend after the club won their first Premiership title in 10 years. Club captain James Tavernier also released his own statement on the matter. The best place to support us is from home. Stay home, stay safe. Scottish League 1 and 2 are set to restart this weekend after being postponed on the 11th of January. Edinburgh City will kickstart the promotion push with a trip to Borough Briggs to take on Elgin City. This will be the first game in charge for new manager Gary Naismith, who replaced James McDonagh last week. Naismith has made his promotion ambitions clear to the fans. But I think the immediate aim for us is to make sure that we, that we finish in, in the playoff positions. As it stands just now, we're five points outside them. There's still going to be plenty of points to play for, so I think both of us are first, are first thing we've got to try and get into the playoffs this season. The final round of the Six Nations will be played this weekend, with Scotland taking on Italy at Murrayfield. The Scots still have France to play in a previously postponed fixture, but have zero chance of winning the tournament after a tough 24-27 defeat to Ireland on Sunday. Scottish international Hugh Jones has said the side must improve against Italy this weekend. Look, we need to focus on ourselves and, and, and fix what we did wrong today and, and sort of and make the things better um, that we did right, so, so we can be in a good position to, to get a win against Italy next week. The Cheltenham Festival will go ahead this week despite fans not being in attendance. The lack of supporters travelling to Gloucestershire will severely impact the area economically, with the festival estimated to be worth £100 million to the region. The festival was open to supporters last year, but NHS data analyst Edge Health have suggested that the event likely contributed to a surge in COVID-19 cases and fatalities in surrounding areas, forcing this year's occasion to take place behind closed doors. And finally... The 63rd annual Grammy Award ceremony took place last night at the Los Angeles Convention Centre. The star-studded lineup of performers and nominees safely followed COVID guidelines to bring the iconic ceremony to life. Our entertainment correspondent Emma Barton has more. Just minutes away from the regular venue the Staples Centre, the Grammys were underway. Due to COVID restrictions, there was no live audience and only a limited number of artists attended. However, this didn't stop some historical moments from happening. The night was huge for Beyonce, who has set a new record with her 28th win and is now the most awarded woman in Grammy's history, overtaking bluegrass singer Alison Krauss. It has been such a difficult time, so I wanted to uplift, encourage and celebrate all of the beautiful black queens and kings that continue to inspire me and inspire the whole world. This is so overwhelming. I've been working my whole life, since nine years old, 
And I'm, I can't believe this happened. It's such a magical night. Thank you so much. Also making history was Taylor Swift, who became the first ever female artist to win Album of the Year three times with her album Folklore. She previously won a title with Fearless in 2010 and with 1989 in 2016. The only other artists to have won this award three times are Frank Sinatra, Paul Simon and Stevie Wonder. Taylor and her team reacted excitedly following her historic victory. Um, but mostly we just want to thank the fans. You guys met us in this imaginary world that we created and we can't tell you how honored we are forever by this. Thank you so much and thank you to the Recording Academy. We'll never forget that you did this for us. Thank Other winners include Billie Eilish, who received Record of the Year with her track Everything I Wanted, and Megan Thee Stallion, who won Best New Artist. Amongst these winners, her was awarded Song of the Year with her single I Can't Breathe, which was inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement last year. The ceremony was also treated to performances by the likes of Harry Styles, Dua Lipa, Billie Eilish and Haim. After his performance, Styles was later presented with Best Pop solo performance with his smash hit, Watermelon Sugar, which he performed a jazzy rendition of at the ceremony. This year's awards show may have been unusual, but not even the designer masks could hide the smiles on the artists' faces. That was Radio Energy News with Nal Fancy. This is Radio Energy News.